Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and I'm joined today by Mets 360 writer Matt Netter. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back again. This is great. All right, well, let's get right into it. And uh, the big news now is the the Mets seem to at least be entertaining the idea of a full-scale rebuild. Uh, supposedly everyone is on the, the table, and that includes their two-star pitchers, Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard. Where do you stand on trading either one of those uh, two stud pitchers? Well, my first choice would be, can we trade Jeff Wilpon, or they don't do that? Mm-hmm. Good luck finding someone to take him off our hands. Okay. Um, now, I am a firm believer that we need to keep both of them. Um, those are building blocks in my book. In fact, I would go so far as to say that I wouldn't even be so fast to trade Stephen Matz or Zach Wheeler or Seth Lugo or Robert Gazelman unless somebody really makes us an irresistible offer, I feel like at least we have the rotation in place and we can build around that going forward and we have a couple of pieces in the lineup. I don't feel like we need to totally blow things up. I just think we need a, a do-over of last offseason that was not handled the right way. Well, we'll talk more about the pitching in just one second, but uh, let, let's talk about uh, hitters. I'm, I'm assuming this means that you're open to trading any of the hitters then. Anybody other than Brandon Nimmo and probably Michael Conforto as well. Um, but I would uh, leave anybody else available. And that includes Rosario Smith. Um, yeah, anybody in AAA right now. I would be open to listening to offers on anyone. Now, being open to listening doesn't mean you're unloading them, so to speak, like we did last year to save money. Um, I think you're looking for something more. Um, with, say, a Dom Smith or an Ahmed Rosario than you would be with, like, somebody in the last year of their deal, like a Cabrera. Not that I disagree with you, but you've just taken the the four most attractive pieces off of the table. So what can you really expect to, to get in return other than uh, uh, un-special uh, un, uh, uh, righty relievers like we got last year at the trade deadline? Not much. To be honest, I think the Mets need to think long and hard about who's going to be back next year. And that includes thinking about some of the guys on the disabled list right now. I mean, what is the plan going forward for Juan Magaris and Travis Darno? And, you know, even Rafael Montero and, and TJ Rivera, who should be back by now, but he's not. Are these guys part of the future plan or not? And we have to think in terms of not just do they have trade value, but do we want them clogging up part of the 40-man roster going forward? Yeah, it's hard to imagine any of those guys with the possible exception exception of Ligaris just because of his defensive chops. It's hard to imagine any of those guys having much trade value. But I get your point. Uh, sometimes the roster spot is, is more important than anything else. Yeah, and I, I think one complaint that a lot of Mets fans have had, and I agree with it, is why are we wasting at-bats on guys like, you know, previously Adrian Gonzalez, he's gone now, but why wouldn't we give Dom Smith that shot? I mean, I think you and I agreed early on that it was a mistake to even bring him on. Um, But, you know, early in the season, we got off to that great start and we had high hopes going into the season. Okay, you know, take a flyer on a veteran who used to be great. But once it became clear that we were falling out of it, it was the right move to let him walk, even though he really wasn't having an awful season. There were certainly worse hitters on the Mets than Adrian Gonzalez was. But, you know, Jay Bruce is locked into a three-year deal, for better or worse, and Gonzalez was not, so he was the odd man out. 
And the thing with Gonzalez, too, is that he got off to a, a stronger start than probably anyone would have expected. But by the time that they released him, he was uh, mired in a, in a rather significant slump. I don't have the numbers in front of me now. Yeah. But uh, if you told me it was two for 25, I'd shake my head and say, yep, sounds about right. I, I also thought his numbers were a bit skewed. Um, he wasn't playing against lefties all that much, at least not before until before uh, Flores got injured. And he really had like three huge games that inflated his numbers. And if you remove those three, he was really pretty lousy. All right, well, let's circle back to the pitchers. Uh, you said that uh, you you wouldn't be eager to trade uh, Mats and Wheeler either. And, you know, if we look at uh, the results for both of those guys for, I don't know, their last uh, six or eight starts, um, they've actually been pretty good. Maybe they're not piling up wins, but uh, certainly their, their other numbers, their uh, ERA and, and their whip are, are, looking, are looking solid. And do you believe that they can be counted on uh, for the rest of the year and, and also going forward? into 2019 and beyond I mean they, they both on the downside certainly have their share of injuries in their history but they both have great stuff they're both still young and they're both still under control and I mean tonight Wheeler's uh, got four scoreless innings under his belt and he's got a nice 5 nothing lead that's not typical to get that kind of run support and I think you know all Mets pitchers have been struggling with that this year so we certainly can't look at wins but over the past month or so, I think Wheeler and Matz have both seemed to have turned a corner. I wish they would have gotten off the starts like this, you know, earlier in the season. Um, but my, my concern with those two is that I just don't think we can get real trade value. And I wouldn't trade them just for the sake of trading them. But because of their injury histories, I don't think you're going to get a ton in return for them. And I would just as soon keep them as they're under control, they're affordable. And, you know, that fills out the rotation for next year. Something real interesting in the game tonight. Um, there's no Gary Cohen and no uh, Keith Hernandez, so it's Ron Darling and the studio guy. So Darling's getting a lot of uh, airtime tonight that maybe he wouldn't get otherwise. And he says that wherever he goes, that the uh, the advanced talent scouts for the other teams are all guys that he knows, guys that he used to play against, people like that. And they all ask him about one guy, and he said it's not Jake DeGrom, it's Zach Wheeler. Really? So I, I think that, yeah, that was a, a real interesting tidbit passed along by Darling. And I do think that, I mean, come on, the guy throws 99 miles an hour and uh, can start. And those guys don't grow on tree. Yes, we see a lot of velocity now. We see guys who throw 95 and we don't think twice about it. But, I mean, DeGrom, I mean, excuse me, Wheeler uh, hit several 99s and several 98s. And uh, he's maintaining it at least through the uh, fourth inning. So it's not just a, a first inning uh, adrenaline bump either. Uh, and, you know, I have to wonder if, um, if there's been some mechanical change, uh, certainly with Wheeler, but I would also say with Mats too, that have been instituted by the uh, new pitching brain trust of uh, Callaway and Island. I mean, I think it's something that we have to at least consider. I, I, I can see it with Wheeler. Um... They, they corrected that inverted W that he used to pitch with um, that makes you more susceptible to elbow injuries. Um, Tanaka pitches with it. Um, a few other guys have as well. Um, and he's corrected that. He comes more straight back now, like the way Matt Harvey throws uh, with his pitching arm. But he's still... Um, he's not as compact as, as say, Noah Syndergaard. 
there's still a little too many moving parts in his delivery, but it is a lot better than it was. Um, the problem that I have with Wheeler is he gets too deep into counts, and I'd really like to see him develop his changeup a little bit more. I like his breaking pitches. I love his fastball. Um, but I feel like he needs to mix his speeds a little bit more, and he still needs to work on his delivery. As far as Matt's, I think I, I see him in the dugout um, and in the bullpen when they when they close up. He's always playing with the ball, and he's just kind of playing around with different grips, especially with his changeup. And his changeup has been terrific this year. But I'd like to see him get that curveball back. I was so impressed with his curveball when he first came up. It was almost like a poor man's Clayton Kershaw kind of curveball, better than like what John Meese used to have. Um, but I'd like to see him come back to that. And I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, working with, with, with the pitching coaches and changing his grips, but he's missing that. He doesn't have that same bite that he used to have. It seems to be like a lazy, slower curveball than it used to be. The one thing that I like about Matt's uh, here in, in the last, I guess, two months now is that he seems to be making a conscious decision to pitch up in the strike zone. We've been asking all of the pitchers, hey, why don't you watch DeGrom? Watch how he moves the ball around. Yeah. And I think Matz has been doing that. He still gets in trouble sometimes when he leaves that ball middle-middle. Yes. But I, I think that if he can uh, consistently pitch up in the zone, I think he's got enough uh, enough stuff where he can pitch up in the zone and, and thrive. And uh, I'm, I've been real encouraged by what I've seen from uh, both of these guys. And in, in your in your last uh, uh, response there, you mentioned something about Wheeler and his, his uh, difficulties putting hitters away. And, and certainly that's something we've talked about quite a bit. But we saw, I think it was a four-pitch inning from him uh, tonight in the second inning. So, uh Remarkable. Uh, I, I don't know if I've picked my jaw up the floor from that yet. <laughs> um, so back to Max a second. The other thing I love about him is he's not afraid to come inside. I find that he, of all the Mets pitchers, challenges hitters inside the most. Um, the guy that I really, when he finally comes back from this mysterious finger injury, I really want to see Syndergaard start moving his location. He throws hard, he throws strikes, and he throws four or five different pitches effectively, but he doesn't vary his very north-south at all. Every pitch he throws seems to be knee-high. He doesn't do what DeGrom does and, you know, blow a guy away with a letter-high pitch. You just don't see it from him at all. And even if you throw 100, if it's knee-high right down the middle, they're going to hit it. And I find he's too hittable for how good his stuff is, and I think that's one of the reasons. Yeah, certainly there you'll get no argument from me on what you just said. The only thing that that concerns me is I think it's really easy for, for us on the sidelines to say, well, yeah, just vary your pitch location. But meanwhile, here's a guy who his whole life has been trying to throw it on the knees on the outside corner. And that's what he's trained to do his entire life. And I don't think we can just say, oh, well, just throw a letter high strike. Come on. What's wrong? <laughs> you know, I, I think that, you know, that, that's something that's not going to be an overnight process. The I one agree thing... with you, but it's, it's sort of a strange disconnect. His location-wise, he's pitching like Tom Glavin, you know, trying to paint corners. But you don't need to when you have overpowering stuff. Like, he seems to have the way he talks... He sounds like he's very aggressive, you know, meet me at the mound 60 feet 6 inches away and all that stuff. But he's he's not really, I don't know, I don't see that high blow-him-away fastball like White Gooden had or like Jacob DeGrom has. I want to see more of that from him. 
um, it would be wonderful. I just don't know how realistic it is. What I do think uh, realistic to to get from Syndergaard would be to see that pitch that he threw in the World Series. I mean, just back guys off of the plate. Yeah, I think absolutely. that. I think that hitters, uh, like you mentioned, they they get so comfortable in the box against him, and uh, you know move their feet. Nothing wrong with that. You don't have to throw at a guy, but you you can make them move their feet. And exactly. So I think that's all it takes. All right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some uh, let's talk about some hitters. Um, and uh, I, I think you have a secret crush on this guy. So let's talk <laughs> about Wilmer Flores. Um, I can't help it. I, I, <laughs> I just you know. There's a lot of you have a lot of company. Yeah, he, he, you know, the, the whole, the, the, the crying at that game when he thought he was traded, and he came up through the system when he was, what, barely 16, and, you know, he's a lifelong man, he wants to be in New York, um, and, you know, how many game-winning hits has the guy had? He has a knack for coming through in the clutch. He has as many game-winning hits as David Wright, and that's, what, a third of as many at-bats? It's incredible, he's got a, he's, he's, he's clutch. I know he'll never be a gold glover. He may never steal a base. That's putting it lightly. <laughs> you know, he may never steal a base. I don't think he's capable of hitting 300. But he's a solid hitter, and he just has a knack for coming through in the big spots. It's hard not to like that. Now, he did not get off to a good start this year, and then he went on to the DL. But since yeah. he's returned from the DL, he's he's been what his supporters uh, claim he's always. And yeah. that's a guy who's who's been very reliable. Uh, coming into tonight, I think he had an 850 OPS since he uh, was activated off the DL. And then, of course, he hit the home run tonight, so I'm sure that number goes up. So he, he gets the DH because they're in the American League right now. But, you know, that's only for two games. And how do they handle him the rest of the year? I think he splits time with Dom Smith at first, and he fills in at second here and there, and more than likely, Cabrera's going to be gone pretty soon. You know, by the end of the month, I think you're going to see Cabrera get traded. You know, last year, I think they would have moved him, but they didn't get the, they didn't seem to get any offers, but he's got 15 home runs now, and the guy, other than a short little slump, has really been solid all year, and he's proven that he can play second base. Because we know he, you know, doesn't have the range for short anymore. He can play third. He's a good clubhouse guy and a leader. I think they're going to get an offer for him, and that's going to open up second base. And you know, they've got a few interesting guys. Um, Jeff McNeil. They've got uh, Luis Guillorme. Can you know at least has a good glove, even though he hasn't shown he can hit yet. Um, is Chikini healthy again? I know he was hurt. Uh, I have not seen his uh, name in the box score recently. Yeah, he was hurt last I checked. At some point, we got to give this guy a shot again. I mean, he was a first-round pick, and, you know, I know he's had an up-and-down minor league career, but it'll be nice to give him at least a chance again. But between first and second, I think uh, Flores will get his at-bats. Um, I really hope to not see much of him on the, on the left side of the infield, though I don't like him over there. I mean, he'll never win a gold glove at first or second, but I feel like he's at least serviceable where I feel like he cannot make that throw from third and he doesn't have anywhere near the range to be playing shortstop ever. I'd rather see Jacob DeGrom play short in a pin. <laughs> well, what what you said about him on the left side of the field, that's kind of the way that I feel about him at second base. And I think that really the only place that he can play in the National League is at first base. And, and honestly, I think I'd rather see uh, Dom Smith there. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, this uh, massive purge of hitters that you're, that you're talking about, that you envision, will, will include Flores as well. Wow, really? You're hoping to see Flores go? 
Uh, you know, if we can get a bag of broken bats and a pop-up toaster, I'll call it even. Wow, you really dislike them that much? Uh, I, I just, I don't have use for guys who can't make the everyday play, you know, and, and my comparison is always, I can live with what, as Drupal Cabrera gave us at shortstop in 2016. He had no range, but he caught everything that he got to. That's true. And he turned it into an out. And you just can't, my, my opinion is that you can't live with the extra outs that you have when Flores plays in the field. And, you know, that can be uh, a, a play that, you know, gets charitably scored as a hit that another, um, you know, fielder would have turned into a, an out or an outright error or only getting one out on a double play ball. And I think there's more of those than people realize, and, and those things snowball, and I think they kill your pitching staff. I mean, ideally, I don't see him as a 500 at-bat guy. I think he does get exposed. I agree with you. Between his fielding, his base running, he's just not an all-around player. But I think his bat is strong enough, and his personality and his clubhouse presence, I like having him on the team. And I love him as like a 300 at bat or so guy who's a pinch hitter. He DHs in the AL games. He fills in a little bit at first base, maybe a little at second. Um, but once they start trading pieces away, if he starts playing every day, he gets exposed again. But do you, do you eventually see him as maybe an American League DH? I, I think that's where he has to be. And, and But first off, before, before that, I mean, I agree with you completely. I think he's a 300 at bat guy because the, the bat the bat is all right the the bat is solid but we're getting to the point with uh, Flores and his contract situation that he's going to be uh uh getting more money in arbitration than you would like to pay for that role um on the club especially you know if you don't have a 200 million dollar payroll yeah. so uh, i mean i think that uh, uh you know they they've reached the point where they've got to uh, uh go or get off the can you know yeah, I, I see him as, as a luxury for a good team where he doesn't have to play every day and he's a really good bench player. But uh, the Mets are not there right now. Maybe they will be after a good off season. but I, I see your point. I prefer to keep him, but I do see your point. All right, well, let's move on and uh, go go to someone who I think everyone had high hopes for and it just hasn't materialized yet, and that's uh, Ahmed Rosario. And uh, I know a lot of people are down on him. I think I've even heard some people uh, come down into the, you know, let's move on from him camp. And I want to know, have you given up on Ahmed um, Rosario? I haven't, only because I didn't have the same expectations a lot of other people had. I think he was overrated. Um when he was playing really well in the minors and he was our number one prospect, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the prospects guide ha, guides, I think had him listed too high and had people thinking he was going to be another Francisco Lindor or Carlos Correa. And I never saw that. I always likened him to, um, LCD's Escobar, a good fielder and a good bat, but a guy who's not going to draw walks, who's going to strike out a little too much, and more of a bottom-of-the-lineup hitter. Almost like, you know, the kind of shortstops we used to see, like in the 70s and 80s, which is not terrible. I think he's solid. I think he's serviceable. I think he can have a nice career ahead of him. But my expectations were never high. I do think he'll do better than he is now. I could see him hitting 270, 280, even 290. But he's never going to draw a ton of walks. I hope he can learn to steal bases. He is fast. I like his glove for the most part. 
but I just I never saw him as being an all-star. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I have to say that you comparing him to Alcides Escobar is, is kind of like driving a stake through my heart. That's uh, the, that's that that hurts, man. It, it's really painful to hear. Um, I, I guess I have higher hopes for him than that. Uh, he certainly hasn't uh, uh, given me any reason to to feel that way here in the majors, at least. But you know, I I think we fall into this uh, this trap of expecting everybody to come up and and star right away. It's like, well, you know, why can't you be like Ronald Acuna? Why can't you be like Soto? You know, and these guys who come up at these really young ages and and have a, have a tremendous success right away. And there are guys that do that, but there are also guys like uh, the the Yankees uh, shortstop Didi Gregorius who who come up and they take a little longer and 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 then they come through. So I mean, I I guess I'm I'm putting all of my chips, I guess, in in that thing, where maybe he just needs a little more development time, and uh, unfortunately for us, we're going to have to live through struggles on the major league level. I don't think he's our biggest problem by any stretch. Um, I'd be willing to give him time. He's certainly cheap now, and he has potential, and he's young, but if he could be the center of a trade package, I'm okay with that. If we have, you know, if the Wilpons decide they want to spend money and we can make a run at Manny Machado or somebody like that, I'm okay with packaging him in trade. I understand what you're saying. I don't see uh, him as the, untouchable. The, the one thing is that uh, Machado's uh, defense at short has, has just been horrible. And I don't know if people have been talking about that uh, as much as they should. You know, he came up as a shortstop, but when uh, the opportunity uh, uh, came available for the Orioles, it was at third base. So he's spent the last however many years at third. And then he asked to be moved back to short, and he's played shortstop this year for the first time in years. And I just got to say there's some rust there because the defensive numbers are are not pretty whatsoever. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought he was athletic enough to make the transition back, and it has been a little disappointing. And boy, that bat. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, the bat plays wherever. I mean, it's absolutely tremendous if he was that shortstop, and it's fine. It's it's great if he's at third base, too. But the question is, you know, can you – when when you're trying to get more athletic, when you're you're trying to get away from this uh, offense over defense constantly mindset that the Mets have had, could could you afford to do something like that? And I think Rosario's defense has been has been better uh, here uh, in 2018 than what we saw last year. And I think that if we went from him to a Machado, you'd you'd certainly notice a difference. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, and I have to say, on a positive note, comparing Rosario's defense to the way Cabrera looked last year, or the way Reyes has looked since he's come back in his second tour with the Mets, he's got some range over there, and he's pretty smooth. He's made a few errors here and there, of course, but for the most part, I like what I see there. Well, we haven't talked about uh, the bullpen much at all here, so oh, uh, let's... <laughs> yeah, let, let's not bring uh, horrible things in. But uh, Seth Lugo, I mean, he's had uh, he's had great success this year as a as a reliever, and and he's done fine as a starter too. Um, so, how how do you want the Mets to utilize him going forward? I think they're doing the right thing. I like him as this um, kind of secret weapon out of the pen who can pitch multiple innings when needed, or can be a setup man like like uh, an Andrew Miller type. 
And he's a perfect example of that theory of you move a star to the pen and they gain a couple of miles an hour on their fastball. I mean, I saw him hit 96. I was like, where did that come from? And then the minute he goes back to, you know, spot starting a couple of games, he's back down to 92, 93. And he was hittable. But, you know, we all know he's got that spin rate and that great curveball and he's got a nice-looking slider. But without that velocity and that fastball to set it up, he's not quite the same pitcher. I think he could be a solid starter, but I think he could be a dominant reliever. And I prefer him in the pen, but, you know, when you're short and he needs to start a couple games here and there, I don't think it's the end of the world as long as his elbow's holding up. Um, on the other hand, though, I don't know that I ever want to see Robert Gazelman start again. I think he's found his home in the bullpen. Well, and even then, the last few appearances have, have not been uh, wonderful for Gazelman, who started off the year great. Yeah. But I want to keep talking about uh, uh, Lugo, and, and uh, specifically, how do you handle him and Jason Vargas? Because, you know, Vargas was signed to be the innings eater and, and all of that, the veteran presence and yada, yada, yada. But what we've seen from him has, has, has not been good. It's been awful. And I agree with you that Lugo has been better as a reliever than he has as a starter. But I think uh, Lugo wants to start, and he's been better as a starter than Vargas. And, and I don't think you build your bullpen and then you build your rotation. I think you build your rotation and then you build your bullpen. And I don't see any way where Vargas should be starting over Lugo. I would be willing to give Vargas a few more shots. He did have a stretch where he was pretty good. You know, even though he got pulled too yeah, early. Yeah, 2017 I, with the no, Royals. No, 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 he had a He had a couple of starts that were good this year. Um, I don't. Uh, I blinked. No, you did. He did have a couple good starts. I don't like the way Callaway handled him, though, where he only let him go twice through the rotation. He had a shutout going one game, and he just pulls him after, like, 80 pitches. Um, I don't know. Vargas was extremely good the first half of last year. He's got a good track record. Um, as I said when the season started, he could be this team's Bobby Ojeda, not just the veteran lefty, but the the, the slower pace of pitching. It, it, it gives uh, opposing lineups a different look. I want to give him another shot, especially after he gets a little rest at the All-Star break. You know, he's got the contract. Rest, he, really? To me, that's the last thing this guy needs. I, I, I can see wanting to give him a shot, but, God, he needs to pitch. Yeah, there's something to be said for that late start, though, either because guys signed late or had an injury in spring training. I don't know if there's stats to back me up on this, but just, you know, what I'm seeing is a lot of players who either had early injuries or else signed late and missed spring training or got a late jump on the season, they're really struggling. Look, you look at Daniel Murphy now. You look at... Uh, uh, I get the two Hollands mixed up. Which is the reliever with the Cardinals? Is that Derek or Greg? The better Greg one. Holland. Greg Holland. Greg. He's been struggling terribly. And and Lance Lynn got off to a terrible start. A lot of the late signings and a lot of the guys who, you know, had the March-April injuries are really struggling. So I think there's something to be said for that, and I feel like he'll still get back on the right track. And especially since it's not like we're in a pennant race – you know, give the guy a shot. He's under contract for next year. He's not tradable. I don't think it's the end of the world to give him a few more starts. I'm not saying let him pitch to a 10 ERA all year. 
but it's not like we've got some big prospect pounding down the door. I mean, Corey Oswald didn't look like he was ready. And who else do we have down there? Well, I don't think that's necessarily fair to uh, Oswald, who was uh, called up at the the last second to, to make that start. And uh, as far as I know, he's only had one other appearance, and that was out of the bullpen, and he went yeah. four innings and he only gave up one run. So... Um, <laughs> certainly Vargas has had more opportunities on a, on a regular rotation than, than Oswald has had uh, you could with make, the Mets. You could make, couldn't, Brian, couldn't you make that same argument about Jay Bruce, for example? You know, it's like, how, how far do you take that sort of back-of-the-baseball-court argument? You know, Bruce is the same thing. He's a veteran. He's a 30-home-run guy. You know, he's under contract. You know, how long do we keep – I mean, he's hurt now, but how long do we keep trotting him out there? Well, you you leave Bruce on the DL until he's 100% healthy, and, and my opinion is that we haven't seen 100% healthy Jay Bruce here in 2018. I think and, he hurt the team this year. I really oh, do. I, I don't think there's any question about that, but I think it was a case of he was injured, needed to go on the DL, but didn't want to go on the DL, tried to tough it out, tried to be a team player, and it ended up hurting both him and the team. Yeah, uh, I think so. They, uh, it, it's funny. Some players do that, and then you've got Cespedes doing the exact opposite. So which one's the team player? Neither is, really. You know, the guy who's playing so injured that he's not effective, or the guy who has to be 110% before he'll play. Neither one is a team player. And maybe that's part of the problem with this Mets team. Well, I, I'm, I would rather have a guy... Uh, say I'm I'm not right. I need to go on the DL. Then then have a guy, you know, try to be this uh, uh, 1950s macho stuff. And un- unless you are so unbelievably far above everybody else, somebody at 75% is not good as somebody else is 100%. I, yeah. I think there's very few players who can say, I'd rather have 75% of player A than 100% of player B. Yeah, I'll take 75% of uh, Mariano Rivera over 100% of Hansel Robles. <laughs> uh, can't argue much with that. All right, so uh, let's talk about uh, the Mets catching situation. I just saw a, a play here in in the game tonight where uh, we had a two-for-one. The, the pitch uh, hit the batter and then ricocheted and caught the starting catching, catcher, Devin Mezzarocco, and they were both hopping around hurt, uh, a play that you don't normally see. But um, Mezzarocco started tonight. We've seen Ploiecki certainly get uh, his fair share of starts here since he came back off the yeah. DL. Which one do you want to see as the starting catcher the rest of the 2018 season? Well, Mezzarocco had another home run tonight, by the way. He did. He crushed it. Yeah. I, I like his little uh, two-handed swing. Um, and I actually always kind of had an eye on him when he was on Cincinnati. I always liked him. The pitchers seemed to be very comfortable with him. And I have to say, it can't be a coincidence that our, our rotation, at least, really turned around after we got him. I think that our pitchers were very uncomfortable with Lobatone and Nito, for whatever reason. Um, so I like the way he calls the game. Um, he's not a big bat, but he does run into one now, and then he hits some home runs. Um, whoop, there goes... Uh, Zach Wheeler, shut up, shut up, courtesy of our old friend Curtis Granderson. 
Um, I definitely prefer Mezzarocco. I'd like to see him start most of the games. To me, Ploiecki's a disappointment. I think he's a classic quadruple-A player. He seems like a great guy that his teammates seem to like. Defensively, I think he's okay. I, I just I don't like his bat. I don't think he's a major league hitter. I think he's good enough to be a backup catcher. I don't see him as good enough even to be a platoon. And I have no idea what the Mets are going to do with Darno because he still has, what, one more year of arbitration or two? Uh, don't know. Let's say uh, at least one. At least one, yeah. Um, so I don't know what the plan is for next year. Um, but I'm just, I'm not a big Ploiecki fan. To me, Ploiecki is uh, the classic example of the guy who needs to embrace the fly ball revolution. He hits so many balls into the ground. And I, I think he makes fairly good contact, but he's just hitting hitting these worm burners. And he's got to yeah. learn to elevate the ball. And I don't know how, how long that process takes, but uh, I'd like to see the, the Mets coaches work with him on, on getting the ball in the air. And until he can do that on a more consistent basis, um, I agree with your assessment of Mezzarocco 100%. I think that uh, he deserves some of the credit for the, for the pitching turnaround. And uh, he, he's certainly a, a threat with the, the bat in his hand. He's, he's not going to win a silver slugger. Yeah. But he certainly, when he gets a hold of one, he's, he's going to hit it out like we've seen tonight. And uh, I, I think he's an above-average uh, offensive catcher, and I, I think he's the, the same thing on defense. And, and I think that you could make a case for trying to re-sign him and uh, non-tendering Darno. I think so, too. And, you know, you, you posted a, a stat yesterday or the day before on, on, on Mets 360 that Ploiecki's ground ball rate is something astronomical, like 65%. I mean, that's great if you're, you know, uh, Lance Johnson or some speedster atop the lineup that can run out ground balls. But, I mean, if you're a catcher, that's that's horrific. You know, that's got double play written all over it. Um, so maybe he could, you know, go for that same training that J.D. Martinez went for and that, you know, Juan Lagares tried. If he can put the ball in the air a little more, he's got a little power. He's, you know, a pretty strong guy. Um, but, you know, catcher to me is really even more than shortstop is that position where if you're great defensively, not that either of those guys is, you know, Johnny Bench, but they're solid. You know, if, if you can frame pitches, if you can, you know, if the pitchers feel comfortable with you, if you can throw out a base runner, you know, block a wild pitch, block the plate, all those things, it goes a long way. You don't have to, you know, be an MVP back there. There's only one Buster Posey. There's not a lot of great hitting catchers these days. I'm, I'm comfortable with Mazzarocco. As long as, you know, we might have to upgrade from Ploiecki next year and find a stronger backup. But I don't think catching is our biggest problem at the moment. So we talked uh, earlier about Asdrubal Cabrera, and uh, you, you seem to think that he was on his way out, that he was going to be traded by the end of the month. Um, but if for some reason there's no market for him, uh, do you think that the uh, the Mets should uh, uh, try others out at second base as long as Cabrera is still on the team? Uh, I don't. Do you think they would do that? I don't. I think if Cabrera is on the team, he's got to play. Not just because he's been the best bat all year, but he's a, he's a team leader. Um, I could see resting him a little more often. Um, he doesn't need to play 162 games, certainly. Um 
he also does really well as a pinch hitter. Um, but I, I don't see sitting him. And I, I do think there'll be a market for him. You know, as long as something really Mets-like doesn't happen and he doesn't get injured like, like uh, Mike Pelfrey did right at the trade deadline, I, I think he's a, a prime trade train, train candidate. I think he is the most likely guy to go, and somebody needs him. All right, one, one last uh, quick Cabrera uh, query for you. Let's say something happens or whatever reason Cabrera stays and, and does a reasonable facsimile the rest of the year to what he's done so far. Do you try to bring him back for 2019? No. No, for the simple reason. I love him and I'll miss him. I think he's a fun guy to watch and a great teammate and a clutch hitter and all that. I just... I feel like he's lost a step. I really don't like his range. He's shorthanded, as you say. I agree with you there. Um, he's smart in the field, but he just doesn't have range. Even at second base, I just see too many balls get by that I see other second basemen get to. And I'd really like to see a strong glove at second base. Um, you know, we thought it was going to be Dilson Herrera a couple of years ago. Um you know, I don't want to see another Wilma Flores, Daniel Murphy, you know, Justin Turner, whoever we've had at second base. But I want to see a real second baseman who can turn double plays, who's got range in the hole. I think we need that. So you're on Team Luis Guillorme. If he can hit. I love the guy's glove, but I do not like what I see of him. his bat. Um, but, you know, I really want to geek Gordon so badly. He was the guy I wanted more than anyone this past offseason. The Mets just made no effort to even try to get him. But, you know, a gold glove second baseman with speed atop the lineup, and look what he's done for Seattle. He was the guy I really wanted. And Sandy doesn't value speed and defense. Maybe that'll change with the three-headed GM now. Um, but that was the guy, and, and you know, strangely, I don't know if you and I have talked about this, Seattle, and, and who's their GM? Is Jerry DePoto? Yes. They, they seem to always get the guys that I want the Mets to get. From back from, you know, Nelson Cruz and then Gene Segura. You used to try to talk me out of him a couple years ago. I always liked him. Um, and then Dee Gordon and, and a few other guys over the years. He's always aggressive and manages to get those guys. And I don't know. Sandy just keep, kept going for that Jay Bruce type player. You know, the, the 30-something power hitter with no speed and no defense. And it's just, you know, this isn't the 1980s Orioles or whatever. It doesn't work anymore. And I think this offseason needs to be completely rethought how we're going to build this team. I think we can keep the, 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 the starting pitching in place and a couple of pieces in the bullpen. But I think the lineup and the defense needs to really be handled differently, especially in the infield. We have reached the crazy prediction time here in the podcast, and uh, I'll start off by giving a crazy prediction and then ask you to to weigh in on it, and uh, then uh, we'll flip roles, and then you'll you'll give me your crazy prediction, and uh, I'll pass judgment on it. My crazy prediction this week is that uh, from July 1st until the end of the year, that Dominic Smith will put up an 800 OPS. So tell me, wow. how crazy is that? That is crazy. And will he be doing that only against righties, or will he be facing some lefties as well? Uh, depends on if they're able to offload Flores. Wow, interesting. I'm rooting for it. I like him. And I, I like his glove, and now that he's in shape, 
He doesn't have a bad looking swing. I haven't given up on him. Um, my crazy prediction is on the injury. Well, well, but before you get you, you didn't say whether you thought it was crazy or not. Um, I do think it's crazy. I do think oh. it's crazy. I, I, I haven't given up on him, but I, I just don't see it. I see him more in the seven hundred range. The the thing is, in the the sporadic playing time that he's gotten in the majors so far this year. He's not making enough contact. Yep. Strikeouts are killing him. Yep. And if he can get the strikeouts under control, which is a huge if, and, and I'm, I'm not pretending otherwise, but I think that he's he's got good power. I mean, it's not the over-the-fence power that we saw last year, but uh, he hit a double earlier tonight. And yeah. I think uh, that's uh, six extra base hits for him since he's been uh, recalled, and he hasn't really been played that whole whole lot. I think that the the power number is there. I think he's when he hits the ball, he's he's hitting the ball well. He just needs to do more of that. And uh, I'm betting uh, on on this crazy prediction. I'm betting on the ability to make better contact. My crazy prediction is that the Mets are going to have a better record than last year, and they're going to be interesting to watch in the second half. And part of that reason is. You're going to see some guys come back from the DL that you didn't think were going to come back. I'm not just talking about Cespedes and Syndergaard. I do think we'll see the captain at some point. I think David Wright will at least get a taste. Um, and I also don't believe that Juan Lagaros is done for the year. I think he will be back in like late August. And I think we'll see TJ Rivera this summer, who really impressed me at times last year. He's another guy, by the way, who can play second base, even though he's no gold glover either. Um, but I liked his bat last year, and uh, he's supposedly going to be back in July. Let's see about that. Well, I, I don't know about the record, because I'd have to see what the, the numbers are and what they'd need to in order to match um, the, the record. And t- to me, it, that's that feels possible. But I, like I said, I'd have to look at the numbers. But the other half, where where they're going to be an interesting team, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I, I I think this team on paper made sense. I, I know that people don't want to hear that. Uh, they're they're so down on um, um, home runs and and power and all of that. But we haven't seen this team healthy, and I think if we saw this team healthy, it would be an interesting team to watch. And and we saw late in 2016 where they hit with runners in scoring position and they hadn't done that the first uh, four and a half five months of 2016 they did it late in august and then all through september and i could certainly see a situation like that developing again this year where um, i forget the numbers that they showed in the the fox game uh last week where the numbers in, with runners in scoring position it was something like oh, 4 yeah, for 62 yeah. i mean it was it, it it's unfathomable you know and and that's got to turn around even even though the the mets are not designed to be a team that's oh they're going to you know pull four hits four singles together and score two runs yeah i know that's not the way that they're designed but no one should go fourth for 62 with runners in scoring positions well, you, so you, you got to figure that's got to even out somewhat the injuries haven't been exactly the same this year as last year but the thing that we've been missing for the past year and a half is i keep waiting for that promising three four five to come together the thing that excited me about this lineup is if you have a healthy 
you know, Conforto, Cespedes, Bruce in the middle of the lineup, that could really produce some runs. And then you put, you know, Frazier after them, Cabrera before them. That That's a pretty deep lineup. And it just, it hasn't come together either because of health or slumps or underperformance. We haven't seen that yet. And maybe that finally comes together after the All-Star break. Who knows? Conforto not being able to to be counted on for consistent performance has has really hurt. I yeah. mean, I, I think if you said before the year, well, Cespedes is going to miss time with an injury, I, I think all of us would have shrugged our shoulders and it's like, well, that stinks. But it wouldn't have been a huge surprise. But I think the the idea that Conforto hasn't been able to um, put stuff together, I mean, I think that's really hurt the team. Yeah. And and if Cabrera has been amazingly consistent outside of the the brief stretch that you mentioned earlier so you've got one hitter there among those that that we count on and if we could include Conforto in with that that would be wonderful and as we're speaking Dom Smith just hit another double so um maybe Dom Smith will be that uh Maybe maybe Dom Smith can be that uh, middle of the order hitter that you're looking for. What do you think? There we go. Look at that. <laughs> All right. So I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm not going to give you the crazy on that one. I, I agree with half of it, and the other half I I could see happening. Okay. Can I ask you one more question? Sure. What minor league player are we going to see this year that we're going to fall in love with? Are we going to see in Queens? I don't think that there's a, a fall in love player who's who's going to be uh, called up, with the possible exception of somebody who will be a lightning rod, and that would be Tim Tebow. Oh dear boy! And oh, uh, funny uh, exclamation you used. Yes, there. yes, I but, just um, got the pun not intended. <laughs> I mean, did uh, they sign him for any reason other than to sell tickets to minor league games? Do they really have any notion that he might make the major? Is it, but but I would say, is there anything wrong with that? No, I don't think there is. I think it was a shrewd marketing move. But I, I don't, you know, he's doing decent in Double A, decent, not great. I think it was a, a bit much that he made the All Star team or whatever it was, you know, because he draws some walks and shows a little bit of power. But it, what is he hitting two sixty? Let's not get crazy. Um, I, I, I don't see him ever making the big leagues. And plus, isn't he twenty nine now? Uh, he might even be a year or two older than that. <laughs> my my thing is, I am I am not a Tim Tebow fan. Um, I I know a lot of people are are drawn to him because of his upfront Christianity, mm-hmm. and and that's fine. I, I I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not for me. No, that's the that's the the feel good story of the football player turned baseball player. Well, the scrambling quarterback, and I get it. But but also, uh, you're, you're old enough to remember when Michael Jordan tried to, to do what Tebow is doing, and yeah, Jordan okay. didn't come didn't come close to what Tebow no, but what is. What about uh, was it Brian Jordan, the safety? Well, well, sure, there was Brian Jordan, and there was Bo, Bo Jackson, Jackson, and there was Deion Sanders. Yeah, I mean, certainly we've we've seen uh, quite a few players, but the fact is that those guys were kind of sort of keeping their toe in the water while. Yeah. Tebow and and certainly um, uh, Michael Jordan hadn't played for years, but just the fact that uh, what they could do, what they could do um, uh, after sitting out for baseball, I mean, is re- is remarkable. And and if you saw a picture of Tim Tebow in 2017 
and then saw a picture of Thibaut again in 2018, totally transformed his body. Uh, got away from that bulked up football body, got a much more of a streamlined baseball look to it. He's put the work in. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't care one bit what his religion is, but the guy has busted his butt. And, and I think that even if you're, you're not a fan of that other stuff, you can be a fan of that stuff. And, and people flock to him. And yeah. I, I think that if, if you're looking for somebody the, from the minor league system who could be a, a, a good story, I, I think Tebow is your only choice. Yeah. Well, I, I have one positive note that we can talk about. What's that? How about that No More Vegas after this year? We'll actually have AAA in the same time zone. What a novel idea. Well, um, to me, uh, I probably uh, was less bent out of shape about that than just about anybody. To me, the the super news in that is that the Mets own the affiliate. I love it. And they are never going to have to worry about can the Wilpons play nice with this other ownership? Because the Wilpons were the ones that got us kicked out of uh, uh, Tidewater slash Norfolk, and Mm -hmm. they're the ones that got us kicked out of Buffalo because they couldn't play nice with the the other owners. And and now we don't have to worry about that. We have stability. And once you have stability, then you can work on other things like upgrading facilities. Everyone always complained about how awful the facility in Vegas was. But I don't think anybody's really doing jumping jacks about, oh, it's it, it's great there uh, in Syracuse. So, you know, the Mets are going to have to devote some funds to, to upgrading that facility, I, I just, believe. I just don't like the logistics of when you need a last-minute call-up that somebody's in a different time zone on the other side of the country. And, and we saw that uh, a couple of times this year just because the team was making so many uh, yeah. maneuvers to their roster. Uh, it was more of an issue this year, I felt, than, than any other year previously. Mm-hmm. But while it is far away, the, the other thing that you have to keep in mind is there's like somewhere roughly 8 million daily nonstop flights between New York and Las Vegas. And you know what? On that note, talking about the AAA shuttle, another thing that's been disappointing this year is I thought that a lot of those relievers we got in, in the summer trades we made last year we're going to be more helpful I mean I think Jacob Rain shows that he has some life in his arm and maybe he's got a future but I know uh, what's his name Callahan kind of fell flat this year a couple of the other guys haven't really panned out yet let's see what Drew Smith has but I thought like we'd be shuttling those guys back and forth and some of them might show more Bautista can't find the strike zone it's just been a letdown that those guys haven't been, at least one or two of them haven't really emerged yet. Well, I think there's been two main problems, and the first one is that Callahan got hurt. So uh, I don't think he's pitched since April. Okay. So he was probably the one who was most ready for the role, and then he was removed from the equation. And the other thing was that uh, because of uh, uh, when he signed, Bautista had to be on the 40-man roster. And I think he got called up because he was on the 40-man more so than that he was ready to contribute. I think he, he honestly, I think he should be in double-A. I, I, yeah. I don't think he belongs in the majors one bit, and I don't even think he belongs in triple-A. I think he should be performing in double-A. Um, so um, will any of them contribute something? You know, they're relievers. I mean, it, it, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, I guess 
my preference would be to to do more of what we saw this year with uh, Lugo and Gesellman, and and that's take guys who've who've made it all the way up to the majors as starting pitchers, and then make the transformation rather than guys who had to be minor league relievers. I mean, that's just a personal preference. I'd like to see more of that from the Mets. The Cardinals do that all the time, even with veteran guys. And I'd like to see that more often. Well, we are running short on time, but I want to see if we can squeeze in at least one more question here. I want to talk sure. about uh, managers somewhat. Um, do you see uh, Mickey Calloway growing into the job uh, this year, or, or do you still see him uh, out of his league as a manager? I like a lot of things about him. I think he's made one big mistake that can be corrected. It might have to wait till the off season if the ownership has patience with him and the new management. I think he hasn't adapted to the roster he has. He, in, in some ways, he still behaves like he's in Cleveland. You know, like maybe that, you know, pull the picture after two turns through the rotation thing works when you have Andrew Miller and, and Brian Shaw and Joe Smith and, and, uh, and, and uh, Cody Allen and, and that kind of bullpen. You know, and by rights, the Mets should have had a bullpen like that. I mean, going into the season, if A.J. Ramos was healthy, if Familia pitched the way he used to, if Blevins was as good as he usually is, if Swarzak was healthy, we thought we were going to have at least a good, if not great, bullpen. Um, but it kind of blew up in his face because that was the strategy he had. Um, but if he can adapt, and if the Mets can rebuild that bullpen again the right way, then, yeah, I think he can make it here. I think he has the right temperament, the right personality. I like the way he, the, the tandem he makes with Dave Island. Um, yeah, I just, I think he needs to be, be given better tools to work with. Well, two years in a row now, we've gone into the season thinking our bullpen was going to be one thing and then have it turn around and be the complete opposite. And I think that as an entire organization that the Mets need to do better in that regard. I don't know if it's fair to dump all of that on the manager's lap. Certainly he deserves, uh, maybe you can even say the lion's share of the credit or, or blame in this case. But I think the organization as a whole has to do a better job of adjusting on the fly when the initial plan doesn't work out. And, and we've, we've seen it in the bullpen in, in two years. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned you thought that the bullpen was going to be uh, uh, potentially a team strength this year, and, and I would say I was right there with you. Uh, so at, at least on paper, it made sense. And I don't know how you go with a bullpen where there's such volatility that, you know, an, an injury or two can can just throw the whole thing off of its yeah. axis. And, I mean, I don't know how you plan for that. So but, You um, know, you, you just made the point a few minutes ago that relievers are really, you know, tricky and hard to say from year to year. Look at Colorado, how much money they spent on their bullpen, and how many of those guys have been disappointed. It's hard to say. A guy who's had three great years in a row can all of a sudden stink for a year. It happened to us with J.J. Putz and a few other guys. You know, there's only so many Mariano Rivera's. Even, even a lot of the really good relievers will have a terrible year one year for whatever reason. It's, it's tricky. I, I do think that we can do a better job in general, um, but yeah, short of spending a ton of money, I'm not sure how else to rebuild that bullpen. 
All right. Well, one uh, last quick question, uh, managerial related. Let's uh, let's elevate you to that role. And uh, what's the uh, the first thing that you're going to do differently than Callaway? Um, I get away from the, the quick hook. Um, I'm not a fan of that. In April, yeah, I agree with it. The weather stinks, and guys are still stretching out. But beyond April, I'm not a fan of yanking guys just because they've gone twice through the lineup or because they've thrown 90 pitches. I think you ha- it's a case-by-case scenario, depending on you know who you're playing, on what the weather's like, how the pitcher's going. But I think a number of times he's been a little too quick with the hook, and I'd like to see these guys stay in longer. I think that Syndergaard and DeGrom should be allowed to throw a complete game, or at least eight innings. And the other guys should be able to go seven, not just five or six. And I think he's put too much strain on the bullpen, and particularly now that the rotation is emerging as more of a strength and the bullpen's been weak. I think there's, there's even more of a case for that. Couldn't agree more. Well, we are out of time. Uh, Matt, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks uh, for I'm having not me. Sure, um, I'm not sure who we're, who we're going to have on next, but uh, we've just gotten our syndication up, and you can find us on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast and, and get the uh, updates that way. Uh, until then, uh, everybody, have a great night.